Turn to Daniel chapter 3. And we have been in a series of messages called Counter Culture. And here's what we're talking about. Here's what we're talking about. How do you live for God in a world that seems to be moving away from God, away from his standard, away from his values. Now, if you're like shocked right now and you're thinking, do we really live in a world that's moved away from his values? Then, then let me help you with that. Yes, yes. <laughs> in fact, probably if you paid attention to the news, if you paid attention to any um, you know, political rallies, if you paid attention just to what's going on, I doubt you were in the mall this week and they came over loudspeaker and said, hey, just real quick today, we're just gonna stop shopping for a few minutes and pay tribute and pray to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So everybody just stop for a minute. Like we know if that happened, there would be a riot um, and so when you look at the values that our world holds versus the Bible, then you can see, hey, there's, there's some discrepancy quite um, extreme in some cases. And so we are living in a culture that seems to be moving away from God sometimes as fast as it can, while we yet are charged to be in this world, but not of this world. Like Jesus prayed for us in John 17, and he said, God, don't take them out of the world. I want them to be in the world but I want them to understand they're not of the world. And so we've been trying to talk about that because Daniel, the book of Daniel, um, tells the story, like the, the YouTube stars of Daniel are these four Hebrews, Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. Now we know the latter three by their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or VeggieTales, Rakshak, and Benny. All right, so whichever helps you, right? And so... <laughs> Um, but here's what's happened. They, the King Nebuchadnezzar besieged Israel, took the, the people of God and brought them into exile or captivity back in Babylon, right? And so they have been captured and brought to this strange culture. And like what he would do in those days is he would take the people he captured like from the Ivy League schools or like MIT, so like Princeton, MIT. So these that had very promising futures and he would bring them into his courts to serve, so probably probably not Aggies, but Yale, Harvard, Princeton, those, you know, the. <laughs> hey, do you want to hear my Aggie joke? Do you want to hear? I got a good one. All right. By the way, if you're an Aggie, I love you, and just we're just having fun at your expense. But we love you, and don't email me. Well, you can. I just won't read it. But anyways. Um, <laughs> unless you have a good joke. But anyways, um, so there's this one Aggie, and he had this thermos. And he's telling this other Aggie, this other Aggie says, hey, what is that? And he said, this is the thermos. And he's like, what does a thermos do? He said, well, it keeps the cold stuff cold and the hot stuff hot. He said, how does it know the difference? And he's like, I don't know, but it keeps cold, cold and hot, hot. He said, that's awesome. What have you got in there right now? He said, I got some homemade chicken noodle soup and some iced tea. That's right. <laughs> and so um, anyways, <laughs> anyways. Anyways, never mind. So anyways, so they would go at like Ivy League, MIT, those, and they would recruit. And so these um, four Hebrews were probably teenagers who were, were from influential families or who really showed a lot of promise. And so they get recruited, um, even though there's all of Israel's been captive, are, are brought into captivity, they get recruited to serve in King Nebuchadnezzar's court. And so we, we have 
what happened, the first six chapters of this book are history, the latter six chapters are prophecy. And so we have these historical accounts of how they stood for God in a culture that did not honor, revere, respect, or even um, give any type of credence to their God. So it's a good thing to study. And so in Daniel chapter 3, verse 10, uh, was where we're going to pick up. Daniel chapter 3 tells probably the most famous story. Daniel's in the, Daniel in the lion's den is probably, probably between this story and that story. They're the most famous. But you have Daniel in the lion's den, and then you have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and the fiery furnace. And so we're actually going to read chapter 3, which is about the fiery furnace. And so here's what's happened. God is actually pursuing King Nebuchadnezzar. And he's actually using um, these four Hebrews to, to do that. And so God is drawing, or by his grace, pursuing uh, King Nebuchadnezzar. And King Nebuchadnezzar keeps pushing against the grace of God. And so this kind of escalates in Daniel chapter 3 because King Nebuchadnezzar kind of drives the stake in the ground like, I will not bow to this God. And so he builds a, a, a carved image of himself, our golden image of himself. Most theologians believe it was probably carved of wood and then, and then covered with gold, but he was certainly wealthy enough to make the whole thing of gold if he wanted to. And it's like 90 feet tall and nine feet broad, and he puts it up in this place called the Plain of Dura, and, and then he commands everyone in Babylon that when the, when the band plays, when the music sounds, hey, I want you all to bow down and worship. And just as an ad of incentive, you know, like, hey, I'd love for you to bow down and worship. If you don't bow down and worship, I'm going to throw you into the fiery furnace. Um, but you're free to choose, you know, and the fiery furnace was actually a kiln used for curing bricks, normally heated to about a thousand degrees Celsius. So he's like, hey, you can tell, you're free to choose whatever you'd like, but I'd love for you to bow down and worship my image. But if not, hey, I'm going to make you rotisserie humans, right? And so it'd be barbecue. We're gonna, it's going to be awesome, right? And so uh, a little bit of chicken fried, right? So anyways, um, so he's like, you can do that. And so they're, they're, uh, they play the music, the band plays. And uh, Daniel wasn't there, but Shabbat, Meshach, and Abednego were, and everyone bowed, and they did not. And then there was the, the, the Babylonian tattletales um, come, to, come to King Nebuchadnezzar, and you'll see this when we read the text in a minute. Um, they, they, we're going to read the text, and they're going to say, hey, some people, like they were good at, at what some people do on Facebook. They had a way of telling, like calling the people out without using their names. Like if you are, hey, like some people, you know, those people who, you know, are you not familiar with that? Where some people, some, yeah, if not be a pastor, they do it. Anyway, so just some people didn't bow. Just some, some Hebrew people, namely three, he, these, is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Anyways, so they tell on them and they're brought to King Nebuchadnezzar. And, uh, and so we're going to pick up the story right about there. Verse 10, they, they said, Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither. I've never owned a zither, but that is so cool. Like, I didn't know what a zither was, and last night I'm like, hey, I don't know what a zither is, but I'd like one. And before I get it off the platform, people are texting me pictures of zithers and trying to explain. I didn't know we had such a rich zither culture among us. But anyways, now I'm even more intrigued by the zither. And so, um, anyways, um, so horn, flute, zither, lyre, that's not a politician's musical instrument, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music. And they said they all, they're going to fall down and worship the image of gold. And that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into the blazing furnace. 
But there are some Jews. Here they are making their Facebook post and tagging King Nebuchadnezzar in it. There are some Jews who you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. I think they're just probably a little bit uh, jealous. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, which isn't really true, your majesty. Um, they neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you've set up. Now that, that is true. Um, verse 13, furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said, is it true? You th- I'm going to change it to three Hebrews because I can't keep saying their names over and over again because it's going to wear me out. I mean, you can only speak so much Babylonian language. And so um, the three Hebrews, he said, is it true that, that you don't serve my gods or worship, but worship this golden image that I've set up? Verse 15, he said, now, now listen, when you hear the sound of the, hor- of the horn or you hear the sound of the flute or the zither or the lyre, when the band plays, if you're ready, fall down and worship the image I made. That would be good. But if you don't worship it, you're going to be thrown immediately into this blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? I love it when culture makes those type of statements because usually usually that's when God comes down and says, get your big chief tablet and number four pencil. I'm about to take you to school. Verse 16, so these three Hebrews replied, King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't, need to, we don't need to defend ourselves in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we're not going to serve your gods. We're not going to worship this image you've set up. And then King Nebuchadnezzar was furious with these three Hebrews and his attitude toward them changed. And he ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual. So now we're like at 7,000 degrees Celsius. I don't even know how that's possible, but that is hot. And then verse 20 and commanded some of the strongest soldiers like the rock and John Cena from his army to tie up the three Hebrews and throw them in the blazing furnace. So these men wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other, I don't know what other clothes would be after that list. It's like, what else could, you got a parka? Anyways, were bound and thrown into the furnace and the, king, the, the king's command was so urgent that the furnace and it's flames so hot that it actually killed the rock and John Cena as they threw in the three Hebrews. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Verse 24, then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up through in the fire? And they said, yes, there were three men. He said, look, I see four men in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like the Son of God's. And, and Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, hey, you three Hebrew guys, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, royal advisors crowded around, crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed, Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. That's good. Then King Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be the God of these Hebrews who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own. I call this message, Standing Tall in a Bow-Down World. Standing Tall in a Bow-Down World. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you so much for your word that is truth, that is absolute truth that we can trust. 
And God, we want to be a people that just like these Hebrews, God, the same God they serve is the same God we serve. God, you are the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we want to be a people, God, who stand when culture says bow. And God, we know from your word, you can give light and life. God, you can encourage, you can build up, you can strengthen. God, you can give insight. God, you can empower. And so, God, we ask as we study your word together that you would do all of those things so that, God, we could live the life you've called us to. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Standing tall in a bow-down world. When I looked at this passage, I thought, what did these guys have that we need to have, or maybe that we have that we're not aware of? What did these guys do? And I kind of looked at it in a timeline in a way Because I looked at it as though there were some things they had already resolved before this incident. How many know you don't wait until you're on the plain of Dura and you've got a choice between worshiping this image or burning in this fire to decide some things? right? And so I, I, thought, I thought, you know, there's probably some things that, that were resolved within them before this moment came. And I found that to be true. And then I thought when this moment came, what was the impact of it? So I'm going to break the message into those parts. I'm going to talk about before you bow and when you, when you stand, or before you stand and when you stand, before you stand and when you stand. So if you're taking notes, number one, before you stand, and this is a little bit tricky, but I'll explain it. Before you stand, you must bow. Before you stand, you must bow. In, in Daniel chapter um, 3, here's what he says. In, in verse 15, when they don't bow and they come before him, in verse 15, he says, he says, I don't know if you guys didn't understand. Maybe it wasn't clear. I know you're pretty smart. That's the only way you, you got here. Like, you're very, very smart. But he said, I'm going to give you I'm going to give you one more chance, right? Like maybe you didn't understand, maybe you didn't understand that there's a choice to be made here between bow or burn. And so now that we've clarified that, I want to give you guys another chance. And here's what they said in verse 16, Daniel 3, 16. They said this, we have no need to answer and why didn't they need to answer him? Because I would think this would be a great time to give an answer. But here's what they were saying. We don't need to answer this now. We've already answered this. We don't need to answer you now because we've already answered this question. Before you ask it, look, we were taken from our homes in Israel and Judah and, and we were brought here. And on that route, we knew we're going into a culture that is foreign and we're going into a culture that does not revere and honor our God. And so we decided then, we decided then that, hey, there's going to be persecution. There's definitely going to be temptation. And there may even be an execution, but here's what we've decided. Our God told us, or told Moses in Exodus 20, hey, you can't worship any carved image, and you can't bow down before any idol. And so they said, we don't need to answer you now because we've already answered God then. Here's what they're saying. King, we would love to bow down. Here's the problem. We've already bowed down. And because we bowed down to our God, we're not going to bow down to your image. Because we bowed down to him, we're not going to bow down despite this pressure 
in this culture. We, we've, already, we've already made our decision. You see, one thing that we see in the life of these Hebrews is consistent, consecrated behavior. In other words, had they waited, had they waited till this day on the plain of Dura, who knows what they would have decided. But here's what, here's what we see in their life. Before I think they get to Babylon, they're saying, hey, we're not going to break the law of God. We're going to stand with honor, with love, with compassion, but also with passion. And we're going to stand. And here's how I know, because there was consistent behavior. It wasn't the first time they had made a stand. In fact, I know that because Daniel chapter one tells us that, that they were offered this food from the king's table. That would have been really good food. The only problem, it was offered to idols in worship. And because it was offered in idols to worship, it made it unclean for a Hebrew to eat. And so they said, hey, we love you. We respect you. We're not going to be able to eat the food. And so the decision, listen, the decision to stand for God on the plain of Dura, actually, we see it first when we're standing for God where a veggie tray is concerned. Like it didn't start with idol worship. It started with a veggie tray. And which is kind of how the enemy works, isn't it? Because if he can get you to eat, then you might bow. Isn't that kind of what he does? I mean, because he doesn't, he doesn't roast you all at one time. He, he kind of gets you to eat a little bit here, knowing he can get you to bow a little bit there. And so what we see is their decision, their decision wasn't actually even though it was seen on that day, it wasn't actually made on that day. I think we as a people, if we follow God and we say we have bowed to the God of Israel, we need to make more predetermined decisions about what that actually means. In other words, because I bowed to God, I'm not going to wait till I'm at the end of the day to decide where my moral line is. Because I bowed then, then I'm not going to wait till I'm in the theater to decide what am I going to take into my heart. Yeah. Because I bowed then, I'm not going to wait till I'm being tempted with something on the job to decide what is stealing and what is not. Yeah. I think we need to make more. Listen, I think what I'm going to do is decide what I feel like is right or wrong before I'm cruising the internet by myself. We, we need to make more predetermined decisions based on the fact that we said we've already bowed. And if we've already bowed, that yes gives us a bunch of yeses and a bunch of noes that we can go ahead and decide before we run into them. And that's what we see with them. And, and a lot of people say, well, I, you know, if I were on the plane of Dura today, if I were on the plane of Dura, and there was a big image, they said, bow or die then I would choose to die for God. That is great. That is great. What I'm asking is, would you live for him today? I'm not asking if you'd die for him tomorrow, but I'm saying, will you live for him today? Like the way you lead your family, the way you lead yourself, the way you use your private time, the way you do your job today, will you live for him today? Not will you die for him tomorrow. Before you stand you must bow. And if you bow, it has to mean some things. Here's the second thing. Before you stand, you must know. Uh, Daniel 3 verse 17 says, if that's the case, our God whom we serve. Our God whom we serve. Here, here's what I mean by this. You must know what you're for and not just what you're against. 
all of their decisions were not based on what they were against. They were made because of what they were for. And, and I think in the church, sometimes this creeps in. In fact, I, I was raised where, I, to be honest, just being honest, I could tell you more about what we were against than what we were for. Because I knew we were against those people and we were against those things. And we were definitely against sex, drugs, and rock and roll music. We were definitely against those things because every youth rally I went to, that's what they preached about. And when I went to Bible school, we had to go to chapel every day. And if you didn't go to chapel, you got kicked out of school because we believed in grace. And every day we go to school and here's a bunch of people in Bible school, school studying to be pastors. And you know what they're telling us? No sex, no drugs, no rock and roll, no dancing. Don't be shaking your groove thing to the groove of Babylon, no dancing. And so I knew we were against this and we were against those people and we were against that political party like because we had Republican Jesus. which kind of cracks me up today because I don't think that would really work. But this church kind of, especially in the South, we, oh, Jesus is a Republican. I don't think so. No, Jesus votes based on who he's for and what he's for, not based on a political party. I'll just leave that where it is. But anyways, <laughs> we knew the point is, <laughs> the point is, unfortunately, we knew more about what we were against than what we were for. And what I love about this is really what they're kind of telling King Nebuchadnezzar is, look, we have served you faithfully and we are for you and we're even for Babylon. But when it comes to this conviction, I'm sorry, this is the word of God and we can't bow. Like we're not against you. We're not your enemies. We're actually for you. But if the line is drawn between being for you, and we have to be against God, we have to stand with God. Like, we're for you, and, and we'd love to serve you, but if you're telling us it's either bow to you or burn, then we're going to take door number two, even though it's hotter. Because here's what they knew. They knew, number one, they weren't against people. And, and as a church, I wish we could get rid of this us and them mentality. Like, I don't, I don't think it does a service to the world that we live in. But we kind of have this righteous cause to, 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 to put out there like, well, it's us and we're right and they're wrong. It's us and them. And we're right and they're wrong. And we're right and they're wrong. But here's the thing. When you do that, you know what you've allowed in? The grossest of all sins, pride. And all of a sudden you've made this about something it was never supposed to be about. Because it was never supposed to be us versus them or them versus us. You've kind of bought in to the wrong culture because the kingdom culture is it's us and us. Watch what Paul says in, in Romans chapter 9 verse 2. He said, my heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief. Now, now why? It, it, is, it, is it because of Silas passing away? I mean, Paul is wrecked. Why is he wrecked? And he said, my heart is full of bitter sorrow and unending grief. And then he says, for my people my Jewish brothers and sisters, and, and he's talking about the ones that don't, have not come to faith in Christ. He said, I would be willing to be forever cursed and cut off from Christ if that would save them. That's incredible. See, see, Paul didn't have an us and them. He had an us and us mentality. He said, there are the found us and the lost us. 
And instead of us hiding in our churches and saying, it's us against them. The sinners are coming. The sinners are coming. No, no, listen, you can remember, remember, this isn't about, remember we talked about this. This is not isolation is wrong. Imitation is wrong. We're supposed to be doing this thing called infiltration, right? Isolation is let's get in a cave and get away from all sinners, right? The problem is when you do that, you, you bring like the most wicked sin of all pride into your bunker with you. Right? And then, and then imitation, that's where we act just like them. We have nothing to offer them. We're doing this infiltration. And that's what they said. They said, look, King, we're not going to isolate. We're going to live our lives in your presence and in your court and, and among you. But they said, unfortunately, if we bow down, that would make us imitate. And we can't do that either. So in our effort to infiltrate, we're just going to have to stand. But no, we're not against you. It's not us versus them. It's the lost us and the found us. And the found us are supposed to be doing everything like Paul, broken in our hearts, trying to pursue the lost us. We're not against people. Here, here's another thing that's going to blow your mind. Just hear me out. We're not against sin. Ethel, get your purse. I knew it's one of them. He's got blue jeans on. It's one of them preachers. He got blue jeans on that aren't even blue, Ethel. Get your purse. I knew we was in a cult the moment the music started. Um... Leroy, before you leave, hear me out on this. We're not in a war with sin. Here's why. Because Jesus already defeated it. We're not in a war with sin. Jesus already defeated it. You want proof? Romans 6 verse 10. When Jesus died, he died once to break the power of sin. God doesn't need me to be in a war against sin. I'm supposed to be in a war for people. And as long as I'm at a war with sin, I can't get around the people who sin. But when I'm in a war for people, I can go into the prison camp of sin on a mission to liberate some captive people. Right? Remember, remember Jesus like today, believe it or not, believe it or not, that's going to blow your mind. But if Jesus were this day after service, he wouldn't be down at saltgrass having a steak. No, no. He'd be, he, he would be in some of the darkest places eating with some of the people that scare you to death. Well, they're not church people like that. Hey, and, you, and we would be the ones tweeting like, oh my God. And we're Instagramming Jesus. Look who he's sitting with. Oh my God, look who he's hanging out with. Like he just came from church. And he's with them. They're hungover, obviously. Look at them. Because Jesus is like, I don't need to be in a war with sin. I've already beat sin. What I'm trying to do is march into the prison camp of sin and take lost sons and daughters captive. Believe it or not, I'm not called to be the morality police. I'm called to be on a mission for people. And as long as I want to be the morality police, I can't be on a mission for people. I can't continue to judge them by a standard they don't believe in and wonder why they don't follow me. And so we weren't against sin. But here's what they were for. They were for God and they were for people. They were for God and they were for people. Our, our mission isn't to rid earth of sin and sinners. Our mission is to reconcile sons and daughters back to God. Right? 
listen, all sin will be gone. That's something Jesus is going to finish doing when he comes again, right? But for now, I can't get sin out of this planet, but I can reconcile people to God back out of sin. I can't get sin out of the planet, but I can get people out of sin. And that's really what God's called me to be. He's called me to be for people and for him. Do you know this? And I do believe God hates sin. So let me preference that. I do believe God hates sin. Here's why I believe God hates sin. It hurts people. But do you know God didn't send Jesus because he hated sin? He sent Jesus because he loved people. He was for people. For God so loved the world, the people that he gave his son, right? His mission was people. He was more for people than he was just against sin. If he was just against sin, he would have slaughtered all the sinners. Right? Are are you with me? So we need to understand. We need to to know what we're for. So before we stand, we have to know what we're for. We, We have to bow and then we have to believe. Before you stand, you must believe. And I love this in Daniel 3, 17 and 18 because verse 17 uh, of Daniel chapter 3, verse 17, it says, our God's able to serve, are able to save. Our God is able to save. Verse 18 says, but even if he doesn't. Our God's able to save, even if he doesn't. I love tension in scripture. So I love that kind of tension. Like God's able to save, but if he doesn't. And, and here's what it means. Before you stand, you must believe. And here's what, you, you, here's what that looks like. Faith. Faith has to be anchored in the person of God, not your perception of how he should perform. Faith that that really can anchor your soul, that kind of faith, has to be firmly established on who you believe God to be, not what you believe God to do. Because I've met with a lot of people a lot of people, and unfortunately, our faith gets, gets, gets sometimes tied to what we would like God to do or how we think God should do things or what God, they say, hey, God is able to save us. But if he doesn't, we're still good because our faith is not in the, in the perception of how we think God should perform. Our faith is in the person of who we believe God to be. And that's what has the power to steady and stabilize and anchor us is when we know who God, who God is. And I think so many times as a pastor, I run into people, it's like, well, I believed God was good and I lost my job. And now I just don't know if I can believe in God let me lose my job. Well, you'd had a bad day with them because, spoiler alert, God didn't deliver them from the furnace. They got thrown in. The rock and John Cena died in the process. Remember, we read it. But they, but they got thrown in. I think they had read from the book of Isaiah that says, oh, when I pass through the water, I'm not going to drown. And when I pass through the fire, I can still trust in God. Even when it's hot, even when I'm drowning, I can still trust in God because my faith is not built on the perception of how I believe God should perform for me. My faith is founded on who I know God to be. Listen, you should believe for things, but there's a difference in believing for things 
and having your faith tied to what you believe for. What I said could help you from a person that's done this a long time. You are supposed to believe for things, but your faith isn't based on what you're believing for. It is established and founded in who you are believing in, right? Because look, the fall of man, look, here's theology in a nutshell, right? If you're ready for this, but, but God created earth to look like heaven. He wanted a physical planet that emulated and reflected a spiritual kingdom. When Adam and Eve fell, it created this incongruence, this dissonance between this spiritual kingdom and this physical planet that was built to look like it. And sin and death entered this world, and we know the story. It kind of went downhill pretty quickly. And so our job, really, what we've been called to, in fact, Jesus said, this is how you pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. Our job is actually to try to reconcile the two. Our job is to actually try to create or do our part to create continuity between the two. Congruence again. Now, this is going to be fully brought full circle, completely brought full circle when Jesus comes. But he's put us here, and our time here is all about making earth try to look like heaven. That's why he said, go into all the world, proclaim the gospel of the kingdom, tell them the kingdom's here, preach the sick, heal the leper, raise the dead, cast out devils, right? What, what is all that? All of that is making earth look like heaven. So I'm supposed to pray for and believe for, but my faith, my faith cannot be grounded in what I'm believing for. It has to be grounded in who I believe. And as long as I keep my faith in who I believe, I'm free to believe for. In fact, having faith in who I believe is what gives strength to believing for. This is worth the price of your admission today. Just helping you with that. Are you with me? But what they said is, hey... God may do it the way that we want him to do it, or he may not. God's certainly able, but no matter what he does, we know who we have believed. And our faith is staying, and our stance isn't changing. Before you stand, you must bow, you must know, and you must believe. Here's, here's the second thing, when you stand. Let's talk about that. When you stand. Number one, when you stand, you won't be alone. When you stand, you won't be alone. It's the best scripture right here, right? Daniel 24, verse 25. King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet, and he said, Guys, I'm pretty good at counting, and I'm pretty good at doing math, and I think we threw three guys in, but now I see a fourth guy. Is that what you are seeing? They're like, absolutely, you threw three in. He's like, uh-oh, but now there's four walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like the son of the gods. He obviously didn't know. This is a Christophany, by the way. Christophany is Jesus appearing in the Old Testament. So this is really Jesus. He didn't know Jesus. So he said, it looks like a son of a god. I don't really know him, right? Um, here's the amazing thing. Are you ready for this? When you stand, Jesus stands with you. When you stand, Jesus stands. Now, here's the scary thing. Light is always more clearly seen in the darkness. And most of the time we say, oh, I want Jesus to stand with me. I want to see Jesus more clearly than I've ever seen Jesus in my life. Well, here's the thing. 
the more clearly you want to see Jesus, the hotter the fire has to get. But here's the good thing. The hotter the fire gets, the more clearly you see Jesus. Now, for me, I don't pray for that. I'm like, God, I'm good. I'm all in faith. Uh-uh, Jesus, I, sh- I see you so clearly right now. I can see clearly now. I'm just having a time, Lord. I don't need the fire, Lord. Oh, Jesus. But here's what I do know. It's when the fire gets hotter, Jesus becomes clearer. Because Jesus stands when we stand with him. He stands with us. In Acts chapter 7, there's this amazing story about Stephen. Stephen uh, was a convert, came to faith in Jesus, and starts preaching, right? And so he is preaching, and he is going at it hard. Like, you people murdered the Son of God, and y'all need to repent, right? You need to turn or burn. The problem was, he was preaching to religious people. They didn't, they didn't think well of his message, right? I mean, they didn't, they, they didn't bother to put a negative Google review on his sermon or anything like that. They picked up rocks, and they decide they're going to stone him. And they didn't stone, by the way. Sometimes we think, oh, they picked up rocks and threw them at him. No, no, no. <laughs> Brother, you can run from that, right? Woo! <laughs> Repent! Ah! No, 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 no. They picked up rocks and beat him until he died. And then left him buried dead under a pile of rocks. And as they're about to start this process and he's about to die, he looks up and he says, oh, my goodness right? This is Acts chapter 7, um, verse 56. He said, look, I see heaven open and the Son of Man, that would be Jesus, standing at the right hand of God. Now that's interesting, interesting, because Paul, when he wrote the Ephesians, said Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. The writer of Hebrews makes a couple of references to the fact that Jesus sat down and he is seated at the right hand of God. So we have a little bit of a conflict in scripture because the Bible tells us Jesus did his work and sat down. But Peter, who has made a stance for Jesus and is about to become the first martyr in the New Testament, says, wait a second, I see Jesus standing here. Here is why. Jesus is looking down and he says, man, look at that guy standing and I'm about to welcome into my presence the first martyr of the New Testament church. And when you stand, Jesus says, I'll stand with you. And so Jesus stands with him. When we stand, Jesus stands with us. So when you stand, number one, you won't be alone. Number two, this is kind of crazy too, you won't be burned. It won't be burned. You're like, well, wait a second. It could be burned. Here's what I love. Look at this scripture. This is amazing. Daniel 3.27. And all the important people <laughs> gathered together. And they saw, watch this, watch this. They saw these men on whose bodies the fire had no power. Were they thrown in the fire? Yep. It's just the fire didn't have power over their body. And their hair wasn't singed and their robes weren't burned. And they didn't even smell like, you know, God can bring you through the fire and no one will even know you walk through the fire because God brings you through with such power and grace and mercy that you can actually meet people and they say, hey, I went through this. Hey, I lost this person. Hey, I, and you're like, I had no idea. There is no smell of smoke on you. 
Why? Because the fire had no power. Now you're sitting there thinking, well, wait a second. Well, it kind of did. I mean, fire burns. Here's what I love. You remember that statement a while ago where they said, our God is able to serve? And then in verse 18, it says, but even if he doesn't, sandwiched between them, they make a very definitive statement that says this, he will save us from your power. In fact, you, you can read it, Daniel 3, um, 17. It says, if we're thrown in the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. That's verse 17, verse 18, but even if he doesn't, but look what they say, but he will rescue us from your power. It's a definite statement. How can they make a definite statement saying, but he may not? It's almost conflicting. Remember how I like tension in scripture? That's kind of conflicting. It ain't like God is able, but he may not, but he will. Were you guys confused? No, they weren't confused. Here's what they knew. Because we bowed to God, we're in a win-win. We, we are not, here's what they're saying. Nebuchadnezzar, we are not under your power. If you don't believe us, throw, it in the, throw us in the furnace. And if you don't believe us, don't throw us in the furnace because either way we win. Here's why. Either God will deliver us from the fire. And by the way, God didn't deliver them from the fire. He delivered them through the fire. Because sometimes we, we, we look at this, right? And we're like, oh, God delivered them. No, 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 he didn't. He, he let them be thrown in the fire. It's just he was hanging out there too. Right? So we're talking about faith and outcomes. They kind of said, God could deliver us or we're going to die. And God said, how about neither? I'll do something else. Like I'll let them throw you in, then I'll hop in with you and we'll walk around. I wonder what they were talking about. Like you're, you're in a kiln that's like 7,000 degrees and you're walking around. I, I don't know what, like, wow, Jesus, you're cool. I don't know how you say you're cool when it's 7,000 degrees. Like, this is cool. No, it's hot. No, it's cool. <laughs> but, but they said, they said, they said, look, he's able, but even he doesn't, but he will deliver us. Here's what they're saying. God will either keep us from death by your hand and we'll win. But here's the thing. Even if you kill this body, you can't kill us and we'll be with God. Either way, we win. I think Paul said it this way. You know, um, it's better for you that I stay, but it's better for me that I go. I mean, like Paul is in chains and he's acting like he can hit a button and just head to heaven. That's why I love that scripture because he is like in, he is arrested in chains, right? He's in Roman chains. And this is what he's saying. You know, I could hang out with you. It's like he's on vacation. You know, today we could water ski or we could, I don't know, you know, like go scuba diving. I don't know. Both are good. That's how he's talking. He's in chains. Why? Because he knew I may be in these chains, but they don't have power over the person of who I am. Because I bowed to God, I get to win either way. And that's what they're telling King Nebuchadnezzar. Look, it's a, it's, a, it's a win-win for us. Like totally either God delivers us, and that's probably better for you, honestly, because we'll stay here and we'll serve and, and we'll stand for God. Or God lets us be thrown into the fire and we're immediately with him in his presence. It's a win for us. Because here's what you know, because we bowed to God, now you can kill this body, but you can't kill us. We get to win either way. The fire, here's what they're saying. The fire has no power over us because this isn't all there is. But you know what's awesome is the fire did have power over something. Do, do you remember this verse? Do you remember this verse? Oh, I love this. 
Verse 21, so they tied them up and threw them into the garment or threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants and their turbans and their robes and their other garments. I mean, look at all the detail of how much, I don't know what else you wear, but all, all their other garments. So they were tied up and thrown in. Does everybody see that? Verse 25, Nebuchadnezzar said, I see four men unbound and unharmed. They were tied up, wearing all their clothes, thrown in. Then he looks at them. And says, now they're unbound and unharmed. The, the, the only thing the fire could burn was what held them in bondage. The fire had no power over their body, but apparently it had power over their bondage. It didn't burn their turban or their parka or whatever they were wearing, but whatever they used, whatever John Cena put on them to bind them, when he threw them in there, while the fire had no power over their bodies, it had power over the bondage. And here's what I want you to understand. God is so gracious that sometimes God will actually use the fire of Babylon to produce a greater purity and power in your life. That sometimes we have unhealthy desires and we have addictions and we, and we have cravings and we, are, we put ourselves in situations that aren't good. And God says, okay, I'll go ahead and use the fire of this culture to break you free from what's been holding you in bondage. Are you with me? Here's what he's saying. Here's what he's saying. Sometimes I'll let this world get seven times hotter because I'm trying to make you 10 times better. Peter, when talking about the, the, the trying of our faith and the fire that we walk through, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7, he says this, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold and perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus. Here's what he's saying. Sometimes this world gets hot. And when it does, God will let the heat of this world bring the dross and the impurities out of our faith to make us more pure and to bring more praise and more glory and more honor to himself. The fire doesn't, the fire doesn't have power over our bodies, but it can have power over our bondage. Here's the last thing. When you stand, you won't be alone. When you stand, you won't be burned. But when you stand, you will influence others. You will influence others. Look at verse 28. So Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. And they trusted in him, defied the king's command. And were will it cracks me up because he's the king. But they defied the king's command. And they were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, time out, he's getting saved. Like he's having a conversion. Like he is coming to know God right now. Like he is, hey, anybody, look what he says, anybody that says anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be cut into pieces. And well, he was just barely saved. <laughs> Like, we all know what that's like, right? You got to get saved, but you're not quite saved yet. Like, you know, God has saved me, but we're still working on sanctification and looking more like Jesus. I'm saved, but I'm just barely saved, you know? Like, if you have a church security team, you want the barely saved people on your church security. I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> he said, listen, I'm going to cut them in pieces and, and, and turn their houses into piles of rubble. 
But look at this. Remember he said, what God could deliver you from my hand? Look what he says. Because he says this, for no other God can save this way. For no other God. Look, look. They weren't alone, right? They weren't burned, but they did influence the king. I want you to write something down because I think this is something the church could learn a little bit from. You could write this down. When it comes to influencing the culture, when it comes to influencing the world, your stance is more powerful than your speech. Your stance is more powerful than your speech. And that's what we see in this text is that their stance was where God showed his power. It wasn't that they said, hey, King, here's the deal in Exodus chapter 20. You probably don't know these things called the Ten Commandments, but essentially you're going to burn in hell because you don't do them. And, and here's, here's what I worry about is that some in the church, I think, have crippled their stance by their speech because we don't know who we're for. We only know what we're against. But here's what you need to know, your stance. When it comes to influencing the culture around you, your stance is more powerful than your speech. Um, St. Francis of Assisi um, said, said this, Assisi's, not Assisi, but Assisi's. St. <laughs> Francis of all the sissies, no, that's not even right. Like St. Francis was amazing. St. Francis of Assisi said, said, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. Because your stance is more powerful than your speech. I, I want to live like these three Hebrews, and I know you do too. But in order to live, we have to look at, hey, before we hit the plain of Dura, there's probably some things that we need to have resolved. Like, there's probably some things that we need to understand. Before we hit that, before we stand, we have to bow. Before we stand, we have to know and before we stand, we have to believe. But here's the comfort. Then we know when we stand, we won't be alone. And when we stand, we won't be burned. But when we stand, we will influence others. Let's make our stand. Let's stand tall in a world that bows down. Amen? Come on, give God praise. Thank you. Why don't you stand with me?